Well, right now, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And uh, we do have an exciting update about the building this week. On Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I walked into Meridian Title and signed papers saying that Gospel Community Church is purchasing the property here at 1677 Reliance Road. So we are now owners of the building. Thank you. Yeah. Praise God for that. That is a, a wonderful thing, and we, as the elder team, just want to thank you for giving towards the mission of glorifying God by making disciples, and this is a space that we get to use that. Uh, we certainly could not do it without your help. Uh, but we did sign a $300,000 loan, and so uh, we have some work to do to get that paid off. We obviously don't want to be sitting on that too long, and so we're not going to do a formal, I've said this already, but we're not going to do a, like a formal uh, building campaign, but we'd encourage you if you want to give towards that so we can knock that out as soon as possible, you can go to mygospelcc.org. You'll see the heading give. Just click that. You'll enter an amount of money, and then there's a drop-down window. Just make sure you choose building fund, and uh, we can eliminate that. So that would be above and beyond what you're giving for tithe, but uh, thank you. Thank you for your support in that. We were able to put down $100,000 based on your generosity, and we still have money in the bank to be able to do some of these projects. So uh, we need your wisdom, and we thank you for it. But really, in purchasing a, a building or in purchasing a house, there really is a lot that goes into it, isn't there? Uh, I was consumed the last few weeks of getting paperwork together and then, you know, having to redo some paperwork because I messed it up because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and and it just it, it involves so much. And really, when it comes to purchasing something like that, there is one question that everybody wants to know the answer to. Whether you're the seller or the buyer. And certainly, if you go to your bank and say, hey, I'm going to buy this house, and I want to purchase it for this amount of money, what are they going to ask? What's the question that needs to be answered about the house? What's it worth, right? What is it worth? Is it worth my sacrifice? Is it worth me giving up money, giving up potential future of having your money go to somewhere else in order to have that building. Like, we had to make that decision. Is it worth going into debt for so that we have a place to live? And when we look at Acts chapter 20, what we are going to see is that following Jesus was worth anything to Paul. It did not matter the cost of what it would be to follow him. It was completely worth it. And so the question that we are going to ask this morning is this, what is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? So let's look at Acts chapter 20 and evaluate this question in a greater detail. I'm going to start reading in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold... I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, knowing what will happen to me there. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies 
to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us your word that points us to the Savior. And Father, what we see in Paul is a man who was willing to give it all because you were so worth it to him. And Lord, that's the question that we are asking ourselves this morning. What are you worth to us? So Lord, I pray that you would do your work. Lord, I pray that you would expose us in ways where we are not willing to die to ourselves and live for Christ. Lord, that you would call us out in those areas. Lord, those things that we need to put off, Lord, would you help us to see those things that we are clinging to that we need to get rid of. And Lord, for those things that we are refusing to do that you've called us to do, Lord, would you spur us on this morning? Lord, not out of a guilty conscience, but Lord, rather out of joy in our Savior and what he's done for us. Lord, yet not I, but Christ in me. Lord, may we, like Paul, say that we don't count our lives as anything worth holding on to just as long as the gospel is proclaimed. God, we need you this morning, so speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're following along closely from week to week, what we are looking at in the book of Acts, you notice I missed a I skipped a few verses, uh, verses 13 through 16. It wasn't because I was trying to uh, hide from things, but basically all they're talking about there is Paul and his companions. They're going from place to place, and the gist of their destination is they are trying ultimately to get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. And so we see that they um, sailed past Ephesus because they didn't want to spend time in Asia, but yet they still wanted to speak with the elders of the church there. And so 
they land in Miletus. It's about 30 miles away from Ephesus at this seaport. And they call for the elders, and they come to visit with Paul and his people. Now, as we dive deeper into the text here, what we're going to see here is this is actually the only sermon we see given to the church. Like all the other times where Paul preached, it was to unbelievers. And, and really, when you read this, it sounds just like the letters that he wrote to uh, the churches in the New Testament. His, you know, Ephesians, Galatians, there's very much that feel uh, that he, of, of what he wrote to them. And as we look at this, I want to ask ourselves five questions in light of Christ's worthiness in our lives. What we will see for Paul, is that Jesus was worth it all. Here's the first question. Is Jesus worth my service? Is Jesus worth my service? Look at verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Really what we see Paul here is looking back. He, he's a, He's explaining to the Ephesians, reminding them how he handled himself. He, he lived in humility. He authenticated the message that he proclaimed. He served boldly. He proclaimed the gospel boldly and truly. And notice there the two inseparable components to the gospel. Repentance toward God and faith in Christ as as a response to the gospel, we are called to repent and believe. We're called to put off something and put on something in its place. Repentance is the putting off of the confidence in our fleshly lives, our fleshly desires. Repentance means I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to take 180 degrees and I'm going to walk the other direction. Faith in Christ means I'm no longer going to put my trust in anything else but him. My allegiance completely belongs to Christ. And here's the thing. Repentance without faith in Christ is nothing more than feeling bad about something that we got caught doing. Faith in Christ without repentance is nothing more than saying, oh yeah, sure, I'll take Jesus. He can be a, another tool in my tool belt. Jesus doesn't want to be the tool. He wants to be the whole thing. Repentance and belief. Repentance and faith. That is the message of the gospel that Paul gave his life to serving. He saw Jesus as being worthy of his service. We see all throughout Acts and we see through the New Testament, he gave his life to the study of the word of God. There was nothing that was more important to him than Jesus Christ and him being proclaimed crucified and risen from the grave, defeating death. Jesus is worth all the time Paul gave to that. He didn't serve the Lord grumbling. When suffering and persecution come, he didn't demand that God owed him something. Look at my sacrifice, God. 
He didn't do that. He did it because he was so in love with his Savior. And he traveled all over his part of the world in order that people would hear the gospel. Churches would be planted and believers would be encouraged. Is Jesus worth your service? Now listen here, there's a, there's a difference here. There's something that we need to understand about um, Paul's call that's different than ours. Like for most of us, we're not called to be missionaries in the sense that we are giving up everything and we're traveling around the world. Perhaps the Lord may move in some ways in some of your lives. Like we have jobs. You guys have jobs in the world that takes you away from full-time ministry. But, but the reality is, though, is there's still only one mission that we are all called to. Glorify God by making disciples. In your workplace, you're not called just to be a good employee to make the company money. You are called to proclaim the gospel to those around you. Not just in your words, certainly when God provides opportunities, but in the, how, in the way that you carry yourself, in the way that you work. Do you do so understanding that your service is for the glory of God? Or do you look at it as a paycheck and when you're done, you're done. You don't really give a rip about what goes on there. We are called to give our lives for the sake of the gospel. For some of it, it looks like full-time ministry. For others, it looks like full-time ministry while you're doing a secular job. And here's the thing, as I've already mentioned, Paul was a student of the word of God. Are you a student? God's not looking for you to be theolo- uh, professional theologians who could teach at a seminary level. But he's just calling you to be faithful in what, what you can do. And for some of you, you may be overwhelmed, like, I'm just not smart enough. I just can't get it in my head. It doesn't stick around. Let me just remind you, first of all, you don't have to be this major scholar. But find great hope knowing this, that the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith, that same spirit lives in you. And when you study the word of God, you are giving that Holy Spirit something to work with, and he will remind you of it when you need to know of it. I'm amazed at the times where I'm studying just for myself, not even for preaching, and then God brings somebody in my life who needs to hear what I had just studied. Are you a student of of God's word? The Bible says that do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul saw Jesus as being worthy of his service, and so he gave his life to it. And we are called to do the same in one shape, form, or another. And here's the beauty. We don't read God's word just because that's what we're supposed to do. Like sometimes we get in our heads. I know about whenever I look at it as just my duty is when I I usually am not thriving. But when I remind myself that when I encounter God's word, I'm encountering God himself. Like Jesus reveals himself through his word. And so this isn't a book of do's and don'ts. We read of those things. It's ultimately a letter that tells us what our Savior is like. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, 1 John 5, 3. 
Are you, is Jesus worth your service? Look at verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The second question is this. Is Jesus worth my suffering? Is Jesus worth my suffering? So Paul goes from reviewing what he was like with the Ephesians to the, the present-day situation that he is in. And notice that he wants their attention. We see this phrase, and now behold. What he's saying here, if you remember, like John the Baptist came, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like, this is an announcement. It's like, you need to listen to what I'm about to say. You cannot miss this. And he delivers this sobering message. I'm headed to Jerusalem. Yes, the place where Jesus was crucified. He said he was constrained by God's spirit. The word constrained there means compelled, imprisoned. He's bound to do what the spirit is leading to. He has, he has no choice. This is what he's doing. And he doesn't know the outcome. He is not sure where this is going to go. But the, the spirit, it says, has been revealing to him in city after city that he's going to experience imprisonment and affliction. That those things await him. In essence, he understands that death is a possibility. Death is on the table. He doesn't know what's going to come about. I'm not sure how he's revealing, uh, receiving. Perhaps it's somebody coming and prophesying over him. Perhaps it's just the spirit impressing on his soul. But he knows that afflictions and imprisonment await him. And then he says this in verse 24, which has just kept me up this week. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Just feel the weight. If that verse ain't anti-America, I'm not sure what is. Anti-human, really, we could say, right? Anti-human nature. Paul has no concern of what will happen to him physically. He doesn't care if he never gets to watch another Netflix series. He doesn't care if he has to live the rest of his days in chains. He has no regard for his own body. He has one thing that he cares about. That he finishes what he's been called to. Notice, what was his calling? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's all he cared about, that the gospel would be advanced. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care about my comforts. All I care about is that God glorifies himself through whatever I do. And so I will give my life, literally, if that's what it takes. Paul embraced the suffering that awaited him because his Savior was worth it all. And Paul lived 
He walked the talk. Keep your finger here. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to see, uh, so we got Acts, Romans, and then 1 and 2 Corinthians. We're going to see just how Paul responded to his suffering. And this is just like, in one sense, I'm like, Lord, I am such a wimp. <laughs> On the other hand, I'm like this deep prayer, Lord, please give me the love for you as Paul had. Paul was no spiritual slouch here. Like, let's just be reminded of what he had to go through. And I'm speaking of what he suffered, not what he knew, not his knowledge level. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. He was beaten multiple times. He received 39 lashes two different times. I mean, this guy lived through a lot. And listen to how he talks about his suffering. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So jars of, jars of clay, they're not, it's not like the most strong thing. Like he understands his weakness. Like that's why the, the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way. But that affliction doesn't crush us. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see that? You see this desire that Jesus would be glorified even in his suffering. Jesus was worth anything that he would have to face. That's all he cared about. Like, sure, beat my body. Let the marks of suffering be on my body. It's all for Jesus' sake anyway. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Isn't it a continual call to die to ourselves? The more we die to ourselves, the more we make room for Jesus to live through us. And then look at verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Yes, we're perplexed, we're, or we're persecuted, we're forsaken, we're struck down, we're afflicted. But we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And this blows my mind that Paul is saying this about what he suffered. And I just mentioned some of the things that he went through. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's why Jesus was worth suffering over. Because he knew ultimately where his eternity lied. He knew that this was not his home. That he was just passing through. He was, an a, he was an alien. Making his way to glory. And so come what may, I know that this is only light and momentary. I mean, you think about eternity. Eternity is forever. Our lifespan is very limited. And if we were to have a scale, it would, it would be like Nothing. In light of eternity. Paul understood that. And so he was willing to say, Jesus, you are worth any suffering I will face today. You know, I, I think of like this week, as I mentioned earlier, that verse 24 just kept me awake. Just being mindful, like, and is Jesus really worth the suffering? And then just, I count myself as nothing. I don't care about my body. And, and, and I'm, you know, we're in a particular challenging season of parenting. Um, 
you know, for instance, last night, I mean, let me just say this first too. Like, isn't every season of parenting a challenge? <laughs> uh, every season has its challenges. Uh, we're just in, a, in, a, in a, one of those states right now where things are a little bit challenging. And, you know, last night, our oldest daughter, Reese, she's uh, graduating this year, so she's a senior, and she had her senior pictures, and I'm just thinking, this isn't right. She's, where's my six-year-old? But it's worth the suffering of raising a child and loving her to send her off into the world to proclaim the gospel wherever God would lead her. And, you know, we have four other kids who will still be home. They're still, everybody's home right now. And sometimes it feels like, like it's just chaos. And I'm a very selfish person. And I like to have me time. I like to be able to just relax and chill. And sometimes my kids get in the way and they make me parent. Can you believe that? And one of the things that just struck me, and I'm just praying, Lord, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only my kids would hear the gospel through me. God, you're worthy of suffering and dying to my own fleshly desires in order that I can proclaim you to the people in my life who matter most. I know that's kind of silly because there's nothing major going on, but like, don't you just get sick of your own flesh sometimes? And just reminding myself, Jesus, you are worth suffering by not getting what you want in order that those around you could hear Christ proclaimed. So why am I saying no to my selfish ways? Because Jesus is worth it. It's worth it that my kids see Christ in me. And that's my prayer for us, that, that we would all die to ourselves, that we would give up the pleasures that, that seek to pull us away from Christ and that we would pronounce that Jesus is worth it, that we're going to work at a place that's hard that I don't want to be at, but you know what? I'm here now, this is where Jesus has me, and, and Jesus is worth it. I'm going home to a spouse that maybe doesn't love Jesus or maybe is extremely difficult to live with, but you know what? I do not count my life as any value. I just want you to be glorified, and so Lord, help me to glorify you in the way that I treat my spouse, even if it's not reciprocated. Lord, my kids are driving me nuts. But God, I know that when I sinned against you, you died for me. Are you willing to suffer for Christ's sake? Is Jesus worth your suffering? Here's the third question. Is Jesus worth my sacrifice? Is Jesus worth my sacrifice? Look at verse 25. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see, me, see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples 
after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Notice again the phrase, and now behold. Again, Paul is wanting to draw attention to what he's about to say. Now remember, he, he revisited his past with them. Like, hey, here's, here's how it was amongst you. Here's what I'm facing. And now he kind of has a future look. Like, here's what awaits us. And just imagine being one of those people. Like, you, you ever have somebody that you love dearly who moves away? Like, imagining that person who had an influence, a Christ-like influence in your life, who comes to you and says, God's calling me to go. But, hey, here's the thing. I'm never going to see you again. I mean, the only thing I can relate to that is when, when I was, have, was, we lived in Illinois for a season, right before we moved to Granger, and I was a part of Gospel City Church. Uh, we were part of an awesome church. Loved it. Grew tremendously there. And there came a season where God clearly was calling us to move back to this area. And it was grieving to me because I love the church. And I remember one of the pastors who was just a dear friend, just had meant so much to me and said, hey, can I come say goodbye? And uh, so he came over. And I just remember after he left, I just broke down, just wept. That was only two hours away. But I knew that there would be a sacrifice in leaving because that relationship would not be the same. That we wouldn't be able to see each other on a weekly basis. That we wouldn't be able to fellowship like we did before. But imagine being one of these guys who finds out, like, what? I'm never going to see you again? And then he says this strange statement. I am innocent of the blood of all. Uh, it's almost like he's wiping his, it feels like he's wiping his hands clean, like I'm done with you. That, that's not what it means. I, I like what Stephen Gurr says in his commentary, the book of Acts, Witnesses to the World. He says this, and I quote, In stating this, he was not minimizing his former leading role as the arch persecutor of the early church or his involvement with the suffering and even death of believers such as Stephen. So if you remember, Paul was a persecutor of Christians before God met him on the road to Damascus. And so when Stephen was stoned to death for proclaiming Christ, Paul was there affirming it all and celebrating and holding the robes of those who were throwing the stones. And so he's not like saying that was no big deal. That's not what he's saying here. Rather, he is hearkening back to the warning God gave the prophet Ezekiel to faithfully broadcast God's program to his people. The prophet's responsibility had been properly discharged whether the response to his witness was positive or negative, whether or not it resulted in repentance and faith, therefore the prophet could be considered innocent of their blood, end quote. And he references Ezekiel 3, verses 17 through 21, and Ezekiel 33, 2 through 9. Basically what Paul was saying is like, look, I, I preach faithfully. I didn't hold back any teaching from you guys. I preached the whole council. I didn't hide the... The controversial stuff, I laid it all out there. And so my responsibility is done. I planted and I watered. I don't bring the growth. God brings the growth. I've done what I can do. And then notice like the Trinity. We see the Trinity in verse 28. Even though the word Trinity is not in the Bible, we see it all over. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's given a warning. Watch your flock. Watch yourselves. 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Do you see the, the name Jesus there at all? Here's what Paul understood, that Jesus was God. It's important for us to understand in today's world that people want to say Jesus was something different than God. Jesus was, is, and will always be God. And the warning here is about people who would not only come from the outside to lure them away from Christ that we see in verse 28, but also there will be people from inside the church who will do the same thing. In verse 30 we see that. And even in the book of 1 and 2 Timothy, where Timothy is a leader in the church in Ephesus, Paul gives great warning to these false teachers. And here's, here's the sacrifice that we see. Have you ever been at a church where there's wolves? Where they're doing everything they possibly can to throw the church off in the name of Christ? Be careful that you're not one. But here's what can happen to us. It may not be a wolf, but it may look like this. Somebody that we've invested our lives into. Met them for coffee. We've pleaded for their souls before the Lord. We've watched them drift. And then it came to the point where they just completely walk away. Is Jesus worth that sacrifice? You see, sometimes we like to protect ourselves when we're injured, when we're hurt. And we don't want that to happen again. But Paul was willing to do whatever was necessary, all for the sake of Jesus Christ, because he didn't care about his own life. He didn't care if people rejected him. He he loved people, and he loved Christ, and wanted Christ to be glorified. Are you willing to put yourself out there and sacrifice with the potential of people stabbing you in your back? It's terrible. It hurts. But Jesus is worth it. Even on the cross, When they are mocking him and they are throwing dice for his clothes, what does Jesus look down and say? Father, condemn them. Is that what he said? Go to that statement all the time. Father, forgive them. Wait, what, Lord? They're killing you. What did you do? They're the ones who deserve to be up on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Is Jesus worth your sacrifice? Is he your one treasure over everything else? Here's the next question. Is Jesus worth my savings? Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. First of all, just look at the importance that he gives in verse 32 to the word of God. What does it help us do? It it builds us up. It leads us to our inheritance, which is Christ, which is heaven. This is what the scriptures do. This is so much more than do's and don'ts. This is about our Savior that gives us life. We find Christ in it. And then in verse 33 through 35, we see that Paul understood what money 
is to be used for. It's better to what? Give than receive. Like, I'm not opposed to saving money. This is not saying you can't have any money in savings. You can't retire. You can't, like, save a retirement. But, like, the reality is, is are we using our resources that God has given us for his glory to help those who are in need? Do we look for opportunities? Paul said, look, I'm not doing this to make a living. I'm not trying to get a buck out of this. I am, I am going to give my life, and I'm going to work extra hard so that, I'm not to, so that you understand that I'm not after your paycheck. I'm not after your wallet. But the truth is, our checking statements, our bank statements, show us what our treasure is. It shows us what we value. And as I've already mentioned, I, I, think, I thank God for this church because I think so many of you I don't know what you're giving. I just know that the church as a whole is giving. But you have displayed the fact that you understand who owns your bank account anyway. You know, when we ask for a family in need, uh, we shared a need about a family uh, in our church, you guys responded graciously. You know, this was a family that was doing everything they could do to provide, and it was just circumstances beyond their control that allow this possibility, this issue to come about. You guys gave faithfully. I've heard small groups where we, we just don't hear much of needs from the people of our church because so many small groups are just caring for one another in that way. A question for you is, are, are you involved in giving back to the Lord, whether it be to the church, whether it be to family, friends, those around you who are in need? Is Jesus worth not having all the toys that you might want to have for the sake of Christ being proclaimed. Here's the last question. Is Jesus worth my sorrows? Is Jesus worth my sorrows? Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word He had spoken that they would not see his face again. And then he accompanied him to the ship. Now, can you feel that? (laughs) The pain of watching a dear friend who had meant so much of them to watch them leave. I mean, here's something that I want us to be aware of. We have to get over the fact that real men should not be afraid to show their emotions. Like, we live in a society that values macho-ness. And you know, I realize, like, you look back at some of the wars that our grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents had to face. With that were a lot of consequences, weren't there, of just shut down, like, to themselves. And I, I can have great sympathy for that. But, like, we need to make sure, as men especially, that we are not afraid to show our emotions. It's not a real man who doesn't show their kids that they are emotional. Do you know what emotions express? It expresses the fact that we care, right? Like, why do we get mad? Because we're passionate about something. Why do we get sad? Because we're brokenhearted over something. Why do we get happy? Because we're overjoyed at something that was exciting. I mean, after all, you look at the example of Jesus Christ... What did he do at 
when, when Lazarus, who he was about to raise up from the dead, what did he do when Lazarus died? The scriptures say he wept. The last thing I want to do to my kids is think that you got to hold yourself together. Because there's only one person who can do that. His name was Jesus Christ. And even he wept. Some of the reasons why I think there's not a lot of emotions that show, like people don't show emotions, is because they're too afraid to feel them. They're too afraid to give of themselves because if they give of themselves, they might have to say goodbye. Or they've had to say goodbye, or their parents said they loved them, and then dad or mom bolted and left them behind. And so there's all these mom and dad wounds. Perhaps some of you are in here. And my encouragement to you is just to ask, is Jesus worth your sorrows? Is Jesus worth getting to a place where you open up your lives to the point where it might lead to tears, but it's good for you? One of the best ways that we can invite people in our lives is just to be open and real. Everybody has sorrows. The most sorrowful things, though, are those who just refuse to open their lives. See, Paul and these apostles, they, Paul, I mean, think about it. His life was all about building relationships, planting churches, and then going to the next one. How hard is that? Just even as I mentioned about building relations at the, at the church I was at, like it was devastating in a sense, you know what I mean? It was crushing, but Jesus was worth it because I was pursuing the health of my family, which is why we moved. But is Jesus worth grieving because you're willing to open up your lives? Brothers and sisters, it, it comes back to the title of this message. What is Jesus worth to you? The one who, spare, who spared no expense for your pardon. When you were deserving death, he died in your place. Is Jesus worth your service? Is he worth your time? Is he worth your energy? Is he worth your studies? Is Jesus worth your suffering that you might face because you're choosing to follow him, the rejection of people around you? Is Jesus worth your sacrifice, your giving up of comfort and ease for the sake of the glory of God? Is Jesus worth giving up resources so that maybe you can't have all the toys that you want, but you know Jesus is going to press forward because you've helped a family in need and you've expressed the fact that what you have belongs to God anyway. Is Jesus worthy of your sorrows? May God lead us to be able to say, as Paul did in verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness to us, Lord. You are so good, so kind. We are undeserving, Lord. I pray that we would, as Paul, be able to look at our afflictions that we face on this earth and call them light and momentary. Because it doesn't compare to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. 
when we get to see you face to face, Lord, and all our sorrow is wiped away, oh God, keep us heavenly minded so that earthly we can live for your glory with no worries about our own comforts, our own securities. God, let us just be faithful in the call to proclaim the gospel to those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give you a couple of action steps that you can put into practice this morning and this week. I encourage you, memorize Acts 20, 24. Memorize Acts 20. That's what I just read. I encourage you, spend some time meditating on that and let it sink in and ask the Lord that, man, Lord, let me be able to say that as if it's coming from my own heart. And then I regularly, I encourage you to read through Isaiah 53. This just speaks of the prophecy of the suffering servant, which is Jesus, and what he did for us. I mean, that's, that needs to be our motivation. The last thing I want to do as a pastor is guilt you into doing things for the Lord. I want you to, I want you to gaze upon the beauty of Christ and be compelled. Yes, he's worthy. I'm going to give myself because of what he's done for us. And that's why it's so important to be in the scriptures to see what our Savior is about. And then these last two questions are really about putting off and putting on. When it comes to asking the questions, what is Jesus worthy of? Like, what am I willing to give up for him? Like, what do you need to give up for Jesus? What is it that you are clinging on to uh, that you do not want to hand over that Jesus is calling you to give up? Are you, is Jesus worthy of you giving that up? For me, it's even simple things like my, my diet. Like, <laughs> is Jesus worth eating right and healthy so that I have the energy that I need to serve him. Like, it's kind of a funny thing in a certain sense, but in a reality, it's like, it's killing me right now. Like, that's what I'm asking myself. What do you need to do for Jesus? Maybe Jesus is calling you to do something that you refuse to be a part of. Refusing to maybe confront a brother and sister because you're afraid of what they'll say. Or maybe it's sharing the gospel uh, with a neighbor or coworker that we're just willing to say, Jesus, you are worth it even at the cost of what this may bring to me. So those are some questions, some thoughts that you can put into practice and dwell on this week.